Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie. And I'm Art. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure. Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places close to our home. Wherever we go, we'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures. This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Welcome back to the Places Where We Go podcast, where today we're continuing our Wyoming road trip series. If you've been listening along on our last couple of episodes, we visited Fossil Butte National Monument. Last time we went to Grand Teton National Park. And today we're going to start talking about Yellowstone National Park, which is on the northwest section of Wyoming. But Yellowstone is so big, it's so huge, we can't even begin to fully talk about it today. So today's episode is going to be devoted to planning your trip to Yellowstone. So there's a number of things you have to think about before you even get there, and we'll go through some of those things today. And then our plan is, when we get together next time, we'll actually dive into the highlights of the park. But let's talk about planning a trip to Yellowstone, Julie. Like Glacier National Park, this is a place where you really have to start, and I can't stress this enough, you have to start super early in your planning. What we mean by that is at least a year, 12 months, to even 13 months ahead of your planned time to visit. Yeah, I think like with accommodations, you almost have to expect as soon as rooms and campgrounds become available, they get snatched up for Yellowstone. Right away, just in a blink of an eye. So you have to decide many different things before you work on your reservations, like how many days do you want to spend there? We wanted to see quite a significant section of the park's and we wanted to take hikes. So in trying to get this really good experience, we actually planned for five days in Yellowstone. Yeah, and I kind of felt like that let us scratch the surface. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because when we were done with everything, we did get a chance to see all kinds of incredible things. Oh, yeah. But there was so much more we could have done. And I've heard of people doing even like two-week vacations to Yellowstone. So... I think you're, you'd be cutting it short to think about like a day or even two days. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you might hit a couple of the big events that maybe happen there, like Old Faithful, but th- that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you would get to. So definitely uh, need to spend more than one day at this park. But that is going to be part of the planning. How many days can you spend... And then that's going to dictate how you develop your itinerary. And, and yes, some other and, thing, and yeah. the park, if you section off the park, which we will discuss later, you're going to get an idea of how big this park is and pick a section and then pick the things you want to see in that section. So we'll, dis- we'll go into that type of planning as we move along here. So decide where you're going to go in the park. We split our trip to have two days on the west side, two days near Old Faithful, and one day on the east side. Mm-hmm. And it certainly was not enough time. Yeah, but it gave us a good flavor of this magnificent park, huh? Yes. Yeah. All right, so once you decide how many days you're going to spend in Yellowstone, now you can start to think about air travel. 
Assuming you're going to fly. Assuming, yes. Yeah. Which yeah. I think many people do. I know some people do hop in the car and they do the road trip. So if you do the car travel, the airport thing isn't applicable, but it is something to consider. So we're going to talk about airport options that you have available to you. So if you fly, we have common tips that you're going to find on the internet in terms of airport recommendations. And then we also have one uncommon airport destination, which I wasn't finding when I was doing the research, but it's the one that we chose. And we'll tell you again why we did that if you didn't listen to a couple of episodes back. So deciding which airport to fly into can partly be influenced by which part of the park you want to enter. So close to the north entrance of the park, one of your choices is Bozeman Yellowstone International Airport. It's about 90 minutes from the park's north entrance. And that's a good option if you want to visit Yellowstone and even Glacier National Parks. If you plan on coming into the west entrance, you have the option of flying into Yellowstone Airport. It's a small airport, but it's conveniently located only 10 minutes from the West Park entrance. You also have the choice of Idaho Falls Regional Airport. That's about two and a half hours from the West entrance, but also provides decent access to Grand Teton National Park. And I will say many of the airports that we're going to be discussing are small airports. Mm -hmm. And what I found in our experience is it's not uncommon for the smaller airports to cost a bit more. And you likely will have to have a flight from where your home base is to some kind of hub airport. And then from the hub airport, you're going to then get on a small plane to get to the small regional airport. So you may have more time in a plane, some more logistical things. But if proximity is important to you, these are some of the options. There's also a Yellowstone Regional Airport that's near Cody, Wyoming, which is about an hour from the east entrance of the park. And you'll be near Cody for all the Western attractions that that town can offer. And there is a Jackson Hole Airport that is inside of the Grand Teton National Park, which is a very unusual uh, thing to happen within the national park. And that places you about one hour drive from the south entrance of Yellowstone National Park. Now, we did something a little different. We flew in to Salt Lake City Airport, which is the largest airport option compared to any of the others Art had mentioned before. This is what we did because it was just over two and a half hours to Fossil Butte National Monument, where is one of the places we had put on our itinerary to yeah. visit. Yeah, so our itinerary was not just Yellowstone. It was all of the national park sites in Wyoming. So, Yeah, so yeah. that made sense for us. Yep. So when you do pick an airport, you have already had an idea of the area that you want to fly into. Mm -hmm. And for us, this was the best option for us. So if you want to do the ring around Wyoming, which is basically what you're going to do if you see the national park sites that are in that state, Salt Lake City is not a bad choice because it's actually, out of everything that we've mentioned, the biggest airport. The biggest airport, and you can get some cheaper flights. Yep. And you'll have more flight options available Mm -hmm. to you. Right. Right. So that's your airport options. The next thing you're going to want to think about is what part of Yellowstone you're going to want to see. 
So if you think that your trip to Yellowstone is going to be that once-in-a-lifetime trip, then we'd recommend make the most of it, spend as many days as you can, and plan to visit as many of the regions within the park as you can. But if you envision future returns to the park, then you might you know, say, hey, I'm going to spend this time to do a deep dive into a particular section of the park mm-hmm. if you think you're going to be coming back, which some people do. I think about like our journeys to Sequoia National Park. We're just about approaching two dozen times there. Right. So yeah. if you're a frequent traveler. the last traveler, time we were yeah. there, we found a new trail to hike. There's yep. always something new. Yep. So let's talk about park regions, Julie. All right, let's do that. So Yellowstone covers over 3,400 square miles. That is immense. While most of it sits in Wyoming, parts of it do extend into Montana and Idaho. The park has eight developed visitor areas that offer visitor centers, lodging, and museums. Different travel guides and websites categorize the regions differently. Suffice to say, the park is large, and you can see and enjoy very different experience as you move from one part of the park to another. So let's talk about the west side. This is the most scenic part of the park. It is referred to as the geyser country section of the park. Some of the things within this west side of the park is Madison Campground, very, very popular campground. You have the Norris Geyser Basin is the largest and most active thermal site. You'll find Grand Prismatic Spring in this side of the park, which was absolutely amazing. And of course, there is Old Faithful which is the most popular attraction in Yellowstone of all. The road from the town of West Yellowstone to Madison runs through a pleasant valley along the Madison River. The valley floor is a hot spot for seeing all kinds of wildlife. Yeah. In fact, when I think back, if I was going to pick just one region to visit in Yellowstone from what we experienced, it would be this west section. Starting there, yeah. Yeah. That would yeah, especially if you don't think you there's a possibility you won't come back. Right. And when we went to Yellowstone, I think, you know, one one of the the main things I was aware of within the park obviously was Old Faithful. Mm-hmm. There was so much more that the park has I I was like oblivious to. And when we got to Norris Geyser Basin, completely mind blowing. Just yeah. otherworldly. And in fact, I mean, if you had to make a choice of if you have re- really limited time and you can see Old Faithful or or the Norris Geyser area, I would hands down go to Norris Geyser because there's so many different things to see there. That's just my opinion. Yes. And I was more familiar with the park as far as its geysers because I had seen pictures of it. So I, I knew there was a lot more to it. But nothing, 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 nothing can give you an idea of what this park has to offer other than being there. Yeah, because there's smells, there's this atmosphere, things that you can't replicate, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I was blown away. Yeah. Anyways, we're getting excited. (laughs) Yes, yes. Reminiscing. Back to the regions. So the north section of the park. This is where you're going to find Mammoth Hot Springs. It's in the northwest corner. Lots of thermal features in this landscape with travertine coming up out of the ground. You'll find plenty of boardwalks here that allow for exploration. That's also something that we ran into a lot on the west side. So as Mm -hmm. you're going through these geyser areas, there's boardwalks that make it safe to traverse Mm -hmm. the different uh, hot spots that are coming up out of the ground. 
The north section is also where Fort Yellowstone was. It's a place where the army once had an establishment, and you can see where the barracks used to be. So this place provides a mix of outdoor activities as well as history. The 50-mile road to Mammoth Hot Springs is the only road in Yellowstone that is typically open all year long. And if you're here in the wintertime, it's a top spot for viewing wolves in the wild. You can also see Mount Washburn. It's the highest peak in Yellowstone. And visit the lower Yellowstone River Canyon. You'll find here Tower Roosevelt section where you can visit and view Tower Falls, Yellowstone River, Roosevelt Lodge, and the famous Lamar Valley. Some call this region the Serengeti of the Yellowstone. On to the central section of Yellowstone. Canyon Junction Village is the most popular place to stay in Yellowstone after the Old Faithful area. The Canyon Country region is where you can see some of the largest waterfalls in the park. The Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone is the main highlight of this central region. You can enjoy views of the canyon from overlooks on the road. The Grand Terminus is Artist Point on the east side of the canyon. Other popular areas to view here are Inspiration Point and the falls. Lake Village and Fishing Bridge are located on the north shore of Yellowstone Lake. And West Thumb Geyser is another attraction in the central area. And just south on the road here, you'll reach Grant Village. Hayden Valley is in the central area and a wonderful place to view wildlife. Yeah, and on that note, one of the things that's probably just about guaranteed is you're probably going to see more wildlife here than you've ever seen anywhere. I mean... Yeah, and please heed the warnings about wildlife. There's been too many people that have not and have been hurt and some... Yes, I have my own story, but we'll be sharing that one on the next episode (laughs) where art almost makes a big (laughs) boo-boo by accident. The last region we're going to talk about is the eastern part of the park. So the eastern area perhaps offers the least to see compared to the other parts of the park in terms of like spectacular types of sites. So if you have limited time, we would suggest emphasize the other regions of the park and we would leave East Yellowstone to those folks with a longer time frame on their itineraries. We did spend some time here. We'll get into more details of what it offers and what it doesn't next time. But that's kind of an overview of the different sections of this just massively huge national park. And after you get a sense of what parts of the park you want to see, then you're going to be in a position to start thinking about where to stay. So obviously that's going to influence lodging. If you know you want to emphasize the western side of the park, you're going to want a place toward that area. Similarly, if you want to see the Serengeti of the Yellowstone, you want a place up north. We stayed in three different places because we did kind of hop around the park. So Mm -hmm. when you're making your lodging decision, probably the first decision is to decide, do you want to stay inside the park or outside of the park? And you have options for both. If you choose for inside the park, you're going to be much closer to activities and the sites. The cons of staying in the park is one, like you mentioned earlier, Julie, you've got to book super early. Mm -hmm. It can be very expensive and you can have limited food access. You're kind of just stuck with whatever the cafeteria or dining rooms offer Mm -hmm. within the park. If you book places outside the park, you can save some money. And of course, if you travel by RV, 
You can have the flexibility of your own food in your own bed. The cons of staying outside of the park include there's also limited options. Things are are kind of popular. Very popular parks. So there's many, many people coming in and the peak times of the uh, season. Yeah. And then you have to factor in drive time. So if you're Mm -hmm. like when we stayed outside of the west entrance, it took, I don't know what it was, like at least 40 minutes every day, yeah. if not a little little more, to drive from where we were staying into the heart of the park. So you have some more drive time. Mm-hmm. We are early birds, so we were okay, but you got to factor that in as well. Another decision you have to make on lodging is are you going to stay at one place and just make it your home base for your entire time in Yellowstone? Or are you going to jump around to multiple locations, which is what we did? And then the third thing you want to think about is your budget. It can be very expensive in Yellowstone. So depending on what your budget is, you know, start with that and you know, take a look at what's available and that'll help you also dial in perhaps where you can stay and for how many days. So with that, again, we stayed in three different places and let's talk about place number one. All right. The place number one was something that was new to us. We had never done before, and it was a wonderful experience for us. And that is under canvas, West Yellowstone. This place is located just over the border in Montana. We had a two-night stay here and really enjoyed it. The beds are really comfortable, and the bedding kept us completely warm. Why do we say that? Because under canvas is canvas tents that are supplied with beds, a stove for warmth. You know, you're not on the dirt, you're on a platform. They make it very homey, very nice, but it was a very different experience. Uh, We had tent camp before, Mm -hmm. so this was like the glamming of tent camping. The fanciest tent we've ever experienced. Yes, Yes. absolutely. We had a large king bed, so plenty of room. And there was a little seating area within the tent too. So as we know, Montana can get very cold at night. And I mentioned they do have stoves. These are wood-burning stoves. But not all of these tents have toilet or water access in them. They offer these type of tents. So you have to decide what amenities that you are comfortable with. This is what brings us back to that budget discussion. Yeah, You can get a tent with your private bathroom, but you're going to pay for it. We decided at the time of our visit that was not going to be within our budget. So um, for people like us, there's these community bathrooms, Right. short walk from your tent. Short walk. So yeah. Very clean too. Very nice. Very well kept. Very clean. Bedding was super clean, super comfortable, but you won't find electricity in some of these tents either. So when you call to arrange a reservation for these tents, make sure you know exactly what you want so they can tell you if that's available or not. They do also book online too, so you can look at that. So if you are one that needs to power up your phone overnight, uh, you might want to think about bringing a charger for that. Or a power station that's like pre-charged before you get there, yeah. All right, so one of the things about under canvas is that you cannot have food in your tent. This should be obvious because it is a tent and they try very hard to keep the critters out and it is zipped up. So it's contained. It's not like there's 
open areas where the little critters can come in, but they also don't want little critters to be attracted to the tent because we know little critters can cause damage. Or there might even be big critters at oh, night. Oh, there could yeah, be, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we got the little critters, and then we've got these big hairy critters, and there's many, many bears in Montana. So that is something that attracts the bears. What Under Canvas does is that they offer their own area where you can eat. Uh, they usually have some kind of games you can play. They sell snacks. And this is uh, food would be kind of limited, but they have coffee, they have tea, they have hot chocolate, they have all these things to provide you more of a camping, glammy type of experience. I enjoyed it very much. If you do have food in a cooler or something in your car, they want you to keep it in your car. But be aware that you want it pretty contained within your car too, because bears will smell that food in your car. There is a free breakfast offered at the adjacent dining hall that I spoke of, and it was extremely enjoyable on both mornings of our visit. This dining room offers good food and is open for both breakfast and dinner, though guests are advised to book in advance. You can order your lunch to go if you uh, want to do that. You just place an order before 9 p.m. and the following day you pick up that order in the morning before you head off for your adventures. A stay at Under Canvas is kind of like camping, except you're sleeping in a much more comfortable area and tent and you don't have to break it down the next morning. There's much to see and do in the park's west side. We highly recommend considering a stay just over the border. And under canvas in Yellowstone is a great start for your glamping type of experience. Yeah. And there was also close proximity to a small town area there in West Yellowstone that offered restaurants and bars. So if you want access to something like that, that's one of the amenities you'll find outside of the park by under canvas that you don't get if you stay inside the national park. And understand that there are other places that have an under canvas franchise and that under canvas may operate differently than what we're speaking about now at Yellowstone. Yeah, we stayed at another one outside of Glacier, mm -hmm. also on its west side, mm -hmm. somewhat of a smaller footprint. The tent experience was pretty similar, but yeah. they didn't have a separate dining hall there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so moving on from the west side into kind of the more central area, we spent a couple of nights very, very close to Old Faithful in the cabins that are there. So cabins are just steps away from the famous geyser, and with the proximity to Old Faithful, it's easy to get up to the geyser early in the morning before the later crowds of the day show up. It was it was literally just like footsteps away from our, from our cabin. Mm -hmm. The beds in the cabin during our stay were on the soft side. I personally had trouble sleeping on that type of mattress that was there. It was a little, little too gushy for me. And at the time of our visit, there were no rollaway beds offered at this lodging or what I learned was anywhere within Yellowstone National Park. So if something like that, extra sleeping, is something you need, you do want to have that discussion with your lodging before you get there so you don't have a surprise. 
even at the cabins, electric outlets are limited. So like you mentioned, Julie, with under canvas, you might pack an electrical power bar if you have lots of electronics to charge. Cooking is prohibited in all accommodations within Yellowstone National Park and at this cabin area. There's no TVs or air conditioning. Internet service is limited, as is cell phone coverage. And there was food available in an adjacent cafeteria that struck us of the quality of what you probably expect from cafeteria food. You can get a better meal in the nearby Old Faithful Inn, which is also steps away. And with that, Julie, let's talk about that famous lodge. All right, so we're going to talk about the Old Faithful Inn, which has been in the park for a very long time. It is very well known. Its architecture is absolutely beautiful. But you need to expect to pay a lot more and make reservations up to a year in advance for this particular inn. If you want to dine in Old Faithful Inn for dinner, or at the Lake Yellowstone Hotel, you will need to make reservations. And priority is given to hotel guests first. You can make dinner reservations up to 60 days in advance. The lodging near Old Faithful places you as close as you can get to the most popular attraction of Yellowstone. So if you want to be near this amazing geyser, you'll want to consider this area. So after our two nights near Old Faithful, we then moved on to the east part of the park because we wanted to have that experience of as much of the park as we could. And we found a place called the historic Wapiti Lodge, and we stayed there only for one night. It was really enjoyable. And I would say out of the three lodgings that we had during our Yellowstone trip and as fantastic as Under Canvas was, This was my personal favorite. We had a very spacious room with a kitchenette that was available to us, an area for eating, a very nice and clean bathroom. There was a ceiling fan in the room that kept the temperature comfortable. Just outside the front door were rocking chairs on a nice patio, which was a nice place to relax. The lodge keepers, extremely friendly. Adjacent, there was a nice little attached shop stocked with some food and drink options, including wine, beer, and spirits. And we even had ice cream there one evening, which we always like to do when we're at the national parks. And we had continental breakfast. What? We have ice cream whenever we want to. Yeah, but usually when we're on vacation. It's my favorite food. It is your favorite food. (laughs) Slow down. (laughs) Slow down there, Julie. If you want ice cream, though, you can get some at Wapiti Lodge. And Continental Breakfast was delivered to our door at 7 a.m., which was a really nice touch to start that morning that we were there. The downside of this location is it's about the furthest away from any place we stayed from the main attractions of Yellowstone. But if you want to have an experience of seeing some of the things that are more off the beaten path and parts of the park that really I think most visitors don't see, this is an area you want to consider. And if you want to stay on the east side, highly recommend the Wapiti Lodge. So that's an overview of lodging options, kind of what you have available other than campgrounds, which we didn't get into on this discussion. But hopefully that helps plan for your Yellowstone trip. And the other thing you have to think about is what are you going to pack 
for your Yellowstone trip, Julie? So, of course, we can't give you a complete list of what you need to pack, but we have found that there are certain things that are extremely helpful when you are visiting national parks, and especially here at Yellowstone. So, of course, you need a camera. You are going to see some absolutely amazing sights, and you will want to document them. You want binoculars. There is a ton of wildlife, and binoculars are truly wonderful if you want to get a more up-close view of them. We, because we like to get out and get onto little trails and just get out and take little walks to see what's around us, we always bring a day pack that also can provide you with room enough for a must-needed water bottle. It's absolutely a must to have water whenever you go out into any national park on any even short hike. It can get cold in Yellowstone, so we have layers and jackets to keep us warm. Yeah, and we were here in the summertime, mm-hmm. and it got, at night, it got really nippy. It gets yep. really cold, yep. really cold. If you're a hiker, having hiking boots with wool socks or some type of warm sock, sunglasses, in order for you to get a better visual of this park and the animals that you'll see, sunglasses are kind of a must because you're always just kind of squinting uh, otherwise. We like to bring food with us as we're driving around the park, so we always bring something, a small cooler bag so we can put food in it. Uh, You will need a first aid kit. I can tell you that firsthand because I've had several incidents where I've had to pull it out. Not for me. Not for you. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) And... Especially if you're a photographer or you like to use audio on your hikes or your little jaunts out into the park, we highly recommend battery packs for your electronics and your high-speed chargers. You will absolutely need bear spray. There are lots of animals in the park, but there are also many bears. And if you are hiking, please be aware if you're bringing food in, try to keep that well-contained within your backpack. And one thing that we didn't have that is on this list that we found was much needed when we were in Yellowstone was mosquito repellent. They were in abundance. Yes. Yeah. So there's a time of the day, and it's usually in the early evening hours, kind of when the sun sets. I thought it was kind of like all day long. (laughs) And all night long. No, no, there was that one. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. They came out like swarms. Yeah. Well, I remember when we drove into the park, we had an episode just surrounded by mosquitoes. And that's one of the things I also remember with the under canvas day. When we left, you know, two days after being in West Yellowstone and we were in that tent experience, Mm -hmm. we left, I left there with a lot of mosquito bites. bites. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. well, we, we were in a grassland area yep. and water was right there and available. So uh, that's where they breed and that's that's where you're going to get yeah. bit. So let our lesson help you out and don't do what we did and travel there without the mosquito repellent. Stop somewhere, get some mosquito repellent, and hopefully you, you won't have as many bug bites as we did. Yeah. And at that time of the day, too, we had stopped. Well, we knew there was certain times of the day that Old Faithful would erupt. It's it's and like, we well, like, it's, it's, it's throughout the day. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, so we picked a time of the day that was towards sunset, and it was amazing. A lot of people come out. Everybody comes out to watch these events, and we're sitting there, and 
it was like all of a sudden we just were being eaten alive. Mm. And a lot of people knew it because they're all pulling out their bug sprays. And we're like, we're just like going, oh my gosh, this is awful. Whoops. (laughs) All righty. So that takes you through a few things to think about for a trip that you hopefully will take to Yellowstone National Park. Join us next time. We're going to go through several of the highlights that we experienced and that you can experience in Yellowstone National Park. So we have more to share with you about this amazing amazing national park join us next time for more adventures we really appreciate you joining us we hope to see you on our next podcast to help you if you would please subscribe to our podcast we surely would appreciate and leave a comment if you can and with that thanks for listening to the places where we go If you have any comments or information to share with us about travel, you can write to us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram as The Places Where We Go. You can find us on Twitter as The Places Where One, the number one. And you can watch our travel adventures on YouTube where our channel name is The Places Where We Go. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go. See you next time. Bye now.